This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 119 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Happy uh, April Fools. <laughs> well, I think that was a couple days ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So did anything uh, fool you on April Fools? I really like the Google, uh, I think it was called Google Shapes or something like that. And, right. and they had this thing where you could basically write emails just through making shapes at your computer. <laughs> <laughs> or you cute. could create a pie chart if you got three people together and made made the shape of a pie chart and the, right, the camera right. would kind of use ocr and convert it to a pie chart it was funny that's cute yeah and yourself not really well you know i'm you, you're just on the alert right you come out and you're trying to hack your news and it's like everything's april fools so if there anything was written that was at all surprising or interesting i'd assume that was probably a a joke <laughs> you know so what yeah what you got this week well, um, startupguild.net is uh, really going very, very well. It's it's going better than I could have hoped, actually. And um, I'm now on iteration two of the of the group software, and it's currently on the front page of Hacker News, and it's using Yammer, and the people who are in there using it, uh, it's just really working. It's exactly like, you know the way that kind of feeling you get when you go to like a tech mixer? And it's uh-huh. like, yeah, okay, I'm really networking with smart people here and I'm making some connections. It's like that. But the downside of that is you're kind of moving around the room and you, it's very easy to forget who you've spoken to. Because of the Yammer software is so good, it keeps on bringing those conversations back up. So you really build a, a kind of deeper relationship with people. And then all the information is searchable and people can create groups. I mean, the Yammer software is just what you were describing last time we were talking about this. You were saying right. you really need software that's kind of guided. Um, to make that interaction work. Yeah, I think I think you want s- software that's going to facilitate whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's like discussion software, forum software is like the generic. Yeah, and it can you can use that as a basic um, system for organizing anything, but it, it's hard to get it beyond a certain point. It's like imagine if. Nobody invented uh, anything like Dig or Reddit, but you said, "All right, we're going to do. We're going to use a form of software for voting up links." I mean, it could sort of work, but it would probably wouldn't take off, right? Yeah. And it's not that um, Reddit or Dig or Hacker News that 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 type of software model. It's very similar, but just inverting it a little bit and having an upvote or downvote on it just changed everything. And I think that's the case for any type of software that you're where you're trying to leverage the power of a community to accomplish something so what's so what the guys at yammer have done basically they started off with this concept of twitter for business but as they've built it out it's become more and more like facebook to the point where it's basically exactly the same as facebook i mean i'm not kidding when you use it you think oh i'm on facebook right now it's more like facebook for business yeah it's facebook for business but so what so the reason why this whole thing is working so well and why the community is building so well and it just feels like wow that that is exactly right for this is because the the people in facebook are extremely smart and they've made a very very good interface for group interaction for social interaction amongst family and friends right and the way that they've got it the, the whole the, the way the interface hangs together and the way that it 
the activity stream and all that stuff. So that's that is the model that Yammer is based on. So that's kind of proven by 300 million people using it right on Facebook. So they've proved sure. they've taken that and proven that. But then they've they've been iterating on that for the last two years to add all the business features that are just freaking awesome. I mean, like you you know groups like already people have created groups within this system and it's so easy and you can see that the groups are already i mean there's already like a ruby on rails group a scalability group an apple developers group like this is just within a couple of days right show your project group job marketplace and it works it just works you know the, the way that you you can add images you can add questions you can instantly add a poll you know it's it all kind of hangs together very very well within that facebook activity stream style all right so i have a, I have a few questions for you yeah, sure. one What's the cost to use Yammer for this? Okay, this this is the crazy part. And talking to Sebastian, his his company's been using Yammer for a couple of years. And basically, Yammer have this thing where you can only sign up to Yammer if you have a company email address. So it's specifically for companies. So if, you know, let's say your email address is you at msn.com because you're part of Microsoft, then you, okay. then you can sign up to Yammer with that. So MSN's a bad, a bad example because they have a public email address on that, don't they? But let's say, for example, Reed Elsevier, right? So anyone from Reed Elsevier can go and sign up to Yammer. And whenever they do, they're always within the Reed Elsevier community because the whole thing's keyed off the email address. So okay. you can sign up for free. You just basically sign up. And as soon as the first person signs up with that email address, a community is created with that email address. Everything's there for free. But the only thing it misses is moderation features. If you want moderation features, you need to pay five bucks a month for... Um, for, for basically someone in the organization to have to have the control over it. But the Startup Guild doesn't need that. So basically, Startup Guild could have 10,000 members. It would still be completely free. Why doesn't it need moderation? I, I, because it's like, you know, does Facebook need moderation? I mean, it, it just, the, the way the whole system works, like it's really, if someone irritating comes into the system, you just you just mute them. Like the whole thing is kind of self, self-funneled and self-directed. Like that's what they've been working on in, in iterating to make it work for businesses really well. Can anyone join or does, do people have to be invited? Uh, people don't have to be invited. Anyone can join. They just go to startupguild.net. And what happens is the, the, the real issue is, is that everyone has to have a startupguild.net email address. So when you go to startupguild.net, basically you sign up there and then it provisions you with an email address at Startup Guild, which basically forwards email through the startupguild.net email address to you. And the technical way that I did that was also very cool. I'd love to talk about that too. Okay, so okay, so yeah, I want to get into that second. So that was something that you wrote. No, I I I, I tweeted and I, I I was thinking. I know that like cPanel and various different um, software and uh, control panel software have APIs that allow you to add email address. So I was kind of looking, researching this, uh, talking to the ten people who I'd originally invited into the Yammer group, and that's how we knew that Yammer was going to work because it was working so well with the ten of us, and we could see that it could scale. Um, but I, I, n none of them had an idea, but I posted a tweet, uh, about it. So does anyone know of a really easy way to kind of create, you know, some kind of system or API to create mail forwarders? And they told me about this company, uh, this new startup called mailgun.net and mailgun.net is exactly what we've been looking for. We've, we've spoken about it a couple of times on the show and, and what mailgun.net is, they basically allow you to set up all the mail stuff through them. And then they allowed you to allow you to program it through a very simple API. So basically, you know, this whole thing of accepting emails and then passing the emails. So, yeah, so they have right. this concept of roots. So basically you can say, okay, anything coming from this email address, 
basically send it to another email address or send it to another web page. Send it to a, like an API call. Okay. Right. So, so you know that thing that you you wanted to do of like programming the web or whatever. You know, people people coding. Oh, right, right, right. Being being able to use an email system almost like a command line interface. Yeah, exactly. You could totally do that with this in no time. They've done all the all the heavy lifting of being able to receive the emails and then you and then basically pr- processing it, just just sending it to any URL or API on your server. So basically, their their system will you you basically set up the MX records. Through, through Mailgun. And then every email that gets sent will go through there and it will process it according to the rules that you set up on the system. And it's, it's right. awesome. Okay. So, and how much does it cost? Uh, well, once again, I mean, normally the normal cost for that is $69 a month. But uh, they really like the Startup Guild, so they're, they're giving it for free. Really? Yeah. How do you, uh, you convince them of that? I just sent them an email and said, hey, look, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to use you guys. Um, I'd love to use you guys and uh, happy to do the sponsorship. And they're kind of just in start start phase. They're like, yeah, totally cool. Uh, they don't even want any sponsorship. They said that what they'll do is they'll add a footer at some stage in the future. But even now, they don't even add a footer to the emails. Hmm. So basically, well, that's probably. Well, I mean, you know, if if, if there's some if there's some site that they want to sponsor or give give their stuff away for free to, it's it's going to be Startup Guild, right? That's right. It's the perfect market for them. Perfect. I mean, I could talk about hundred percent market fit. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens is you go to Startup Guild, you enter into a f- uh, a form, uh, your first name and your last name, and your current email address, and then a- and then your Twitter account and a website. Click submit, and then that puts it into an approval queue. And then basically, I look at the approval queue and, and check that you're not um, a dodgy person. And if you're okay, I just click a button. And then what it does is it auto creates you a Startup Guild email address based on your first name and last name which forwards to your normal account. And then it sends you an email saying, you've been accepted to Startup Guild. Sign up, you know, go to Yammer and sign up with the Startup Guild email address. Right. That's it. Cool. And it's working okay, so, so have, sweet. Okay, so I have a couple questions. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, just on that topic, how long did I take you to do that? Pretty much this, this uh, I guess, Saturday. So you're just messing around with the API and getting all the... Yeah, I got the API working and got the design for the site. I'm very happy with the design for the site. Some... One of the first guys on the Startup Guild did the logo. Oh, I like it. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. Much nicer than the first. I think that's, 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 not, that's not bad. Yeah, because it, it just pretty much kind of says what it needs to say in as little space as possible. It looks professional. It's, it's pretty, you know, LinkedIn kind of style, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so his, his logo really kind of inspired the rest of the design for it. Right. And then just one right. simple about page, you know? Very nice. Yeah, I, I noticed that you were attempting to get people to help out um, in the Yammer conversation. Yeah. Um, and how has that gone? I mean, if he, are people contributing? And Yeah, totally. Yeah, they are. Um, pe- people are contributing. Um, I just, I'm just very excited about it because it's what, what I really wanted to do was to kind of take the momentum of the blog posts and turn it into right. a community that worked. And you were saying, well, the real issue is, is it needs a leader, but I, I'm not, I wasn't hundred percent sure. I, I, I still believe that it was possible to find software already that had that kind of bent that was going to work. And I think this is it. And so I'm not sure it does need a leader. I just, I just think that we kind of techies have needed a good, a good place that works to, to build this kind of community. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess to follow up on that discussion just a little bit, I'm, I mean, it requires, it doesn't have to be a leader in the sense that you're 
leading every conversation or anything, but somebody behind the scenes is 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 making the big push on on say the technologies or or whatever, so that this stuff comes together, which is what you've done, right? right? I mean, if you didn't get if you didn't ask somebody to do a logo and you didn't get this thing with a mail gun set up and you know and you didn't have Yammer set up, I mean, it would have died. Yeah. Okay. Right. Agreed. I mean, so it has taken your help. I mean, there's you you could be a leader in different ways. You can be more of a facilitator, a connector. You don't necessarily have to be, um, you know, a uh, a figurehead um, type of person. <laughs> you can just be some of the behind the scenes who's just facilitating it for everybody else and trying to pull everybody else in. And that seems to be kind of a style that you feel most comfortable with. And and hopefully it'll work. But yeah, it should, all, all I felt like is. You, it wasn't like you could just like add water, walk away, and then come back, and there'd be this beautiful garden. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were gonna have to play some kind of ongoing, supportive, encouraging, positive role, and occasionally funneling in some time and some serious energy to keep it moving to the next level. That's all my thought. That's that's all I was trying to convey. Yeah. Which is which you are, and I, I think that's good. So uh, a couple questions. Um. So you had when you initially when you initially wrote up a, a post about the idea for Startup Guild, I think it was. Yep. Uh, and you asked who would be interested, if you're interested, leave your email, and you had like 450 or some odd people. Yeah, there's, I think there's just, just shy of 500 on it now, yeah. Okay, 500. And then after that, how many of those signed up for Startup Guild? So two, So on the BuddyPress version, basically, the WordPress BuddyPress version, 250 of them signed up. Right, so that was the first funnel, yeah, right? yeah. And then you had a then you had another jump to get everybody to sign up to the new startup guild with Yammer and everything else, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I'm not sure how many people have signed up to the new one. I know that it's over. I know that it's over like 150 at this stage. But um, oh, new one. Oh, 150 people made the jump to the new system. Well, yeah, because I just basically sent out a new message to the same to the same list and said, "Hey, listen, guys, that that community is not working. The Yammer one's working much better. You know, real apologies. You have to sign up again." But just go here. So yeah, 150 people have come through there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was wondering like how much of a drop off you're going to have. I, I when you when you when I saw that you had set up Yammer, I was I was concerned like that there was going to be a significant drop off. You might have like 20 people jump over. Oh, in right, which case, yeah. it went from a 500 to 200 to 20 people. I'm like, okay, so now it's just like a private conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I could I can understand that concern, and it could it could have happened, but luckily. I don't know. Maybe it was the wording of the email or whatever, but it did. It did seem good. It did seem good. Well, the other good thing. Okay, one other thing that, as long as you have sort of a critical uh, mass. I mean, I don't know what that number is, but a hundred certainly sounds like a decent number um, for starters. If you have a hundred or hundred and fifty engaged people, um, then that's a good start. And those people, if they feel like they're getting something out of it, and it's and and that the startup guild is helping them push forward in whatever um, effort or startup venture they're working on, then they're going to try and pull in other people as well. The word will spread. If you, if you didn't have a critical mass, if you had like 12 people on it, it might be really hard to get beyond that. But um, yeah, that's, that's good. Just look, I'm just looking at the exact number because I may have overquoted there. So I'm just literally clicking on it now. Ah, actually it's 318. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I think that's <laughs> enough to, for a nascent community to to start to move forward now i wasn't expecting I guess, that it, yeah it's because it work. it's working so well even, even when it's posted on hacker news i just posted basically startup guild 2.0 and i and then i posted to the startup guild hey i've posted startup guild on hacker news and like within like 10 seconds it had six votes so it was straight to the top of hacker news and right. then um 
people from Hacker News were saying, well, w- well, what's it like inside? There's no screenshots. So then someone just posted a screenshot of it and attached it to the comments. And so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good thing to maybe think about putting on the front page of Startup Guild then. Yeah, good point. I mean, yeah, give people a little look-see. <laughs> what are you going to get out of this thing? What is this for? Um, I think that, you know... Um, then look at Startup Guild, you sit in your word and you say, Startup Guild is a vibrant, active, real-time information, informal group of tech entrepreneurs. Okay? Yeah. And I, I think we say, we discuss startup ideas, strategies, bootstrapping, insight, and tech. I think one of the um, general, is, uh, I don't know, rules of thumb for, a, 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 you know, like a, a landing page. Yeah is to talk about people's benefits. What are you going to get? Not, not features, but benefits. Right, yeah, yeah, good point. You're talking more about, we talk about stuff, okay, you know, wh- why am I going to do this? Get your startup launched sooner. Under, you know, whatever it is. Oh, that that's you're a trying great to, idea, whatever, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, okay, why am I going to waste, you know, why, first of all, why am I going to invest five minutes setting up an account? Uh, and second of all, why would I invest any more time getting to understand this thing? Because there's 30 other things I'm thinking about looking up on the web right now. And if you can convince me three or four bullet points why this is going to be worth my time and why I should get involved. I think that would be good. Well, I mean, good one idea. of the, the, the things that I've, I just feel so proud of is I'm looking at the conversation. People are coming in and they're saying, I do, you know, my startup is this. Then they're giving you a link to their startup and then you can go and look at their startup. And then people are giving constructive feedback about it. And then they're saying, hey, how are you dealing with the scaling issue? Or are you using NoSQL or are you using this? And those conversations are just happening again and again and again. And it's like, Hey, shit! That's really valuable information right there. You know, it's like, yeah. wow. I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just very proud. Well, it's of great. It. Well, it's essentially it's it's almost like you're um, hosting a virtual conference. That's a virtual unending conference. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, that's really cool because I know. I mean, that's that can always be a fun thing to do is to host a conference. Uh, I co-hosted Bar Camp what 2005 in LA. Yeah, and. There was that was a fun aspect of it is just meeting a lot of people and having a bunch of sort of spontaneous conversations. Um, but of course, setting up an actual conversation in the real world is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It's expensive. You know, it's just it's just painful getting a venue and getting dealing with catering and dealing with like how are we going to get electricity and Wi-Fi and I mean just the logistics of it yeah. is can easily overwhelm the amount of fun you're going to have it. I mean, for participants who just show up and pay a little bit of money, yeah, great. It's maybe a good trade-off. But for somebody who's actually hosting it, if you're not making any money off of it and you're just going to spend weeks and weeks of your of time getting this thing set up, it's it's exhausting for just having, you know, hey, I had I met, I became friends ultimately with one or two people, which is really good. And I had a dozen interesting conversations. That's 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 good, but that's a that's expensive to to get that that result. Whereas it sounds like <clears throat> with Startup Guild um, there's so little friction for people to get involved and to get this thing going and also for you to ongoing to to sort of host it that you're going to get a lot out of it. I yeah, think. there's 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 literally nothing I really need to do anymore. I mean, it because you know what? The hard work was done by Facebook and then it was done by Yammer. <laughs> That's whether I mean obviously the 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 kind of key points that I had was to kind of get the get the community, but I don't think I need to do that much anymore. So yeah, it is like the kind of bar crap like the bar camp that you created, but with a lot less effort. Well, I, I did do it by myself. I did it with a few other people. So yeah, <laughs> don't, uh, I don't, I don't want to make you overstate <laughs> but that. I, I also think that it's a great community to have access to for, for you and me. Um, especially for you, because I think these guys are, are just perfect target audience for Epic night. Right. 
you know right or beta testers yeah, and yeah exactly that. i think it's great to, to kind of reach out to those people and have them all kind of centralized in one place in a way that you can actually talk to them and get like full feedback on the product there from a group of people at the same time like who, who on the site are uh, listeners of the podcast that you know of uh oh there's there's quite a few um uh bams yeah ba- bams is bams is on there um there's there's uh, I don't know the the, ben the full name. Yeah, Bams Ben Boyter. I don't know the full names, but uh, there are quite a few people who's Michael Rakita, Is he on there? I think there's a few that I just glanced. I, had, I thought I noticed that it, you know names that I knew off the top of my head. Which is which is kind of cool, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just great. Um, okay, so a couple, couple more questions then. One is I've I've been hearing a lot about Convor, which is sort of like this group chat thing, mm. which sounds sort of similar um, to Yammer. It may be more. Um, it's just more it's like just kind of like. I think the convoy is just specific. Convo. So it's like simple, like IRC. Whereas yeah, it's like it's IRC in a web page as opposed to where I guess um, Yammer is more like Facebook, which is, is is a little richer. Is that right? It's much richer. Yammer is much more useful for you know stories are archived and you can attach images and you can have to. It's so good at doing the threading. That's what's really good about it. You know. But did you look in the convoy? Or you just. I did. Look, I did look at Convo, but as soon as I saw that it, the only thing it was was just live chat, I realized that that wasn't particularly useful for something like this. Okay. Okay. Because um, I, I remember I read uh, at least once or twice in two in two different sort of um, Y Combinator postmortems. One was from Paul Graham, and he said that I think the reason that so many of this last batch of companies are, are, are were so successful coming out of the gate is is due to Convo. Because it facilitated um, a faster-paced learning environment that the companies were communicating back and forth constantly uh, about issues and ideas. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and um, also I, I I can't remember which article it was I read, but somebody was writing about uh, one of the companies writing about that, and they said, yeah, like everything that was happening at Y at YC this last um, this uh, this last I don't know what you call it session, the winter session was almost via. Almost all of it was via Convor. Everybody's talking on Convor constantly about things. So I think, I, I, I think having software that can facilitate that kind of stuff, you get enough smart people with the right kind of focus and the right kind of engagement, um, you can have, a, I don't know, it says it can have huge benefits in terms of learning. And Well, so that's, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the thing is that, that if you download the, um, the Yammer desktop app, it basically just acts like a, an IRC client, so you can do the whole thing in that way as well, which is so very cool. What are you, you had me set up a Yammer account, but no, do I need to set it up again because of the startup.net? No, you, you don't. You, you, you don't. You just, just, just go to Yammer, and you've, you've got, you're all set up. Um, I'm oh, actually, okay. you, you may need... Yeah, you, sorry, yes, you do. You do, you do. Yes, you do. Sorry. So I have to create a new profile. Yeah, you do. You need to create a new profile just just through the startupguild.net route because otherwise you won't receive any emails from Startup Guild anymore. Right. Okay. I'll I'll take care of that today. Yeah. Um I, I I mean basically I just signed up on whatever it's a Thursday yeah. or something. It would be great to see you in there because once again, you know, we can chat with with the listeners as well so much more easily. No, that's that's cool. I it's, uh, that's always one of the fun things to be able to do even just even in the comments on the on the podcast blog is to hear what everyone has to say about stuff. So yeah, that's very cool. Um, All right. So, so just to fin- to cap that off, I'd encourage any, any of our listeners to sign up at startupguild.net. Um, it's, it is very valuable in my opinion, and I'd love to see you in there. So uh, looking forward to seeing that all. Uh, can I have one, I want one more thing to say about sure, it? Sure. Yeah, go for it. So one thing that I would suggest you think about um, 
you know, is, is, is not leave it. It just Yammer. I mean, Yammer seems to facilitate conversation, but I think you could do other, other things with it. Um, I think Mm. you could create, uh, you could build on top of it or augment it with things like some kind of software that facilitates a specific mastermind, um, scenario or something, or, or maybe you don't, maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe that's not needed for masterminding. Maybe this does the masterminding, but maybe you have things like hackathons or idea gener idea brainstorming sessions or, or just, just anything you think of that might help spark um, engagement and get people interested in, in, in helping them um, I mean, how, solve So problems. how would that work? I mean, what, why, why would that be any better than, say, for example, just publishing a message saying, you know, because Yammer has events in it. So you could just add an event saying, you know, virtual hackathon on Saturday, 23rd of March kind of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it really just depends on what you're trying to make happen. You know, I mean, I think that, um, I think that Yammer sounds like it's you know a couple steps better than a discussion board, but it's still it's still a generalized software system for group communication, right? Archive stuff it makes it, but well, for, it doesn't. But specifically for kind of company uh, technical to, uh, to company right, with technical right, right, knowledge right. communication. But I mean, if you wanted to facilitate, um, you know, something very specific, it may not do it. But I mean, you, you, basically, what you need to do is think about things that you might want to happen within the community, um, whether, you know, whether it was a brainstorming session or, uh, you know, I don't even know. I'm just making stuff up in my head Interesting. that you might want to think about writing simple software as you go along to, to, to facilitate it. Well, That's I mean, all. one, one thing that some people said was it would be nice to have like, you know, like Crunchbase, mm-hmm. like, so for the, for the people who are registered to startup guild, they have like a Crunchbase profile on startupguild.net. That's kind of like a public profile. That's, mm-hmm. that's not really related to Yammer. But I, I would exactly. like something like um, AppIgnite to exist so that it was easy to build that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, that, would, that would help. Hey, um, that, that, that's a nice little segue onto how is AppIgnite? How is AppIgnite doing it? So this past week or so, um, I'm trying to finish up the, um, the voting, liking, ranking um, feature, yeah. which is, which is pretty standard along or around most, uh, I don't know, social or even semi-social software. And, um, there was a couple of the demo apps that I wanted to build would require that. And a couple of people, including you who wanted to be, uh, who wanted to build something required that kind of behavior. So I figured I'd build it. And I've got, you know, the, all the back end and sort of the middle layer stuff works. Now I've just been working on the um, client side, creating sort of like a voting widget that could facilitate, you know, all the different types of behavior, different types of voting. Cause like on Hacker News, you can only vote up, right? On certain sites, you can only like, you can't unlike. Uh, on, on Reddit, you can like, unlike, or dislike, undo an, a like or unlike, things like that. I mean, there's just different variations on a theme. There's some that show how many likes and uplights there are, where it's others just show a total points. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So just working on that. And it was one thing that was funny is, so I had to talk with Guyon about this. It's like, okay, do we use jQuery? Do we base this on jQuery? Do we use our own? Do we just write, you know, sort of our own custom and very simple JavaScript library? And I think Guyon has me convinced that we should probably use jQuery just because everybody else uses jQuery. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you were going to go custom with that, that was going to be an argument. Yeah, just because, I mean, like, I can use whatever I want to build my own stuff, but if everybody else is like, 
everybody else loves and uses jQuery. And I say, well, okay, I'll, 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 this app will be generated, but the, the, the JavaScript that's generated is just doesn't use jQuery. And I, I was like a little concerned there'll be a lot of pushback. I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to use this. I only know how to use jQuery. Why didn't you use jQuery? Yeah, right? I think you, that's a good so, decision. And so I find it kind of irritating because I'm not really comfortable with jQuery. Right. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff is very similar um, it, to stuff that I've done, but other stuff about it, sort of their idioms uh, are kind of bizarre. To me, and, and maybe it's just because I'm new to it. Um, but like the what? sort of, I don't know. It, it just seemed like, I mean, I only looked at it a little bit, but so I, I wrote a widget and then um, I wrote sort of a voting widget, just, you know, basically using straight JavaScript. And Guyon said, all right, well, here's sort of a jQuery version of it that he wrote. And I was just like, what the hell is that? You have this jQuery.fn.vote equals you know, this other thing and it's returning like a closure. I'm just like, I don't, I mean, what is even going on? You know, it's just hard for me to figure out what he was doing um, because it just was sort of like, it was like change. It was like a change from like imperative programming to uh, uh, functional programming almost mm. like. Well, you, I mean, uh, let maybe I should go through that with you because you don't necessarily have to do it like that. Like you, you can, I mean, uh, you can use functional programming with jQuery. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's not, I mean, it's not uh, like the sorry, big, the, the, the procedural kind of thing. Imperative, mm. imper- imperative programming. Um, yeah, I, you know, so, I mean, part of it is just, I'm going to have to get used to it. And it's just, um, I'm not used to it. Anytime learning something new is sort of, you know, frustrating, right? When you already know how to do it one way. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, now you have to do a whole nother way. I'm like, damn it. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm an expert at, at straight up JavaScript. Now I got to, you know, use this other thing and... They've made up all these new rules and all these new ways of doing things because that's the way to do it. No, I got to do it because that way because everybody else is. And that's just, I was thinking, I just, yeah, because when I did the the startup guild thing yesterday, I was like, okay, should I use Cake or should I use Code Igniter or should I just do it on a single PHP page? And after like some deliberation, I'm like, oh god, I'm just going to use my same old framework because I can do that in like ten minutes. <laughs> I don't have to learn anything new. You know, I already know exactly how it works. Exactly. Well. I think a lot of that kind of stuff is personality. I mean, I know my personality is like, I don't mind doing more work for maximum freedom, but I know a lot of other people, and it it always depends on the context. They're like, look, I would rather play by somebody else's rules if I can do it in 10% of the time. Right. And for most people, that's a much smarter trade off. Um, or, or even if they cut off, you know, 30%, they'd say, okay, I can do this in 80% of the time it taken me and I'll, I'll play by the rules. I have to do a few, I have to jump through a few hoops that I may find personally kind of bizarre, strange, but you know, whatever, it's just, it saved me time. I, I chafe at that a little more than I think other people do, um, just by the nature of my personality. Mm-hmm. So that's just part of it. I, and I, I'd fully acknowledge that, <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a personality where I just do things my way. I don't like being, you know, strong-armed into doing things other people's way and another way that other people like. And, e- and even if it's like, everybody but you does it this way, it's like, I still don't care. <laughs> I really don't. It, I don't give in to peer pressure. Mm. However, I do acknowledge if I want Epic Night to work and I'm trying to build it to solve problems, other people's problems, not my problem, right? I mean, if, if, if you're building an application, it's to solve your problem. So I need to make sure whatever I'm delivering to you, whatever application is generated the code that's generated is something that you're going to be excited about, understand, and be productive using. I'm kind of a great believer in karma, and this is maybe contentious. You're going to think this is contentious to say, but it's like, I feel, look, if I want everyone else to use my software, I'm good, there's going to have to be some places in my life where I use someone else's software that everyone else is using, <laughs> right? It's like a trade-off. Yeah. It's like, if I pay, if I 
if I want people to pay for my app, I kind of need to pay for other people's apps. It's like a karmic thing. You know, I don't, I don't know if, um, I don't know how much I believe that's true, but I will say this though. I mean, I use, I use a lot of software, right? I use PHP, I use MySQL, I use Linux, you know, right? I mean, I use a, most software that I use is not my, is not mine. What I don't like doing, um, and I, is, excuse me one sec. I'm sorry. Um, the the one thing that I don't like so much is is using open source software that or or paid software for that matter. But open source software, you see this a lot, and it's just like seventy percent complete. Which you know because jQuery itself is seems to be pretty pretty finished, right? It's pretty polished. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the jQuery plugins <laughs> are are not. And it was funny because. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with Guyon and he's like, and I'm like, okay, we'll write a voting thing. He's like, well, there's like a voting ledger to this and that. And I'm like, well, can I do this, this, and this? He's like, well, no. And I'm like, all right, well, what about uh, Ajax? I mean, we need to, um, we need to be able to sort of queue requests so they don't step over each other. Cause you know, we've, you have that problem if you don't carefully make sure that you're not making a request when, when a second request, when the first request isn't yet completed. Right. Um, you get a, a, a sort of a reentrancy error kind of thing. I'm not sure what the error is called, but it basically just, you know flicks you off. And so you have to do that. And I was like, that wasn't built into jQuery. I'm like, that's kind of bizarre. But regardless, you know, I said, right, well, what's, is there like a plugin that does it? And he's like, yeah, but it turns out it only works with this version. It doesn't work. I'm like, well, damn it. You know, <laughs> the hell this crap is crap. It's like, I keep finding that happen. Every time I want to download you something, it's like, it's just like, well, screw it, man. I mean, if it's, if it's not hundred percent done, documented, you know, everything is screwed. I'll just do it myself. I'm not sure it's about just, that queuing thing. Can you talk me through the... Like, maybe, maybe that's older browsers or something, but I think for newer browsers, I don't know if that... You think it automatically handles that? I think so. So, like, let's, let's say that I have... Um, uh, let's say I have a button that's called, uh, you know, vote or something, right? And let's say I, you know, I can hit vote and, and then I can vote and then it, it, if I hit vote, it upvotes and I hit vote, it, it deletes the vote. What if I click it like 10 times around? Click, 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 click. You know, so it means every one of them sends off an API call. Okay, well, the way that right. I the way that I deal with that is I basically just have um, I, for any action that's basically a business logic like that, I'll just put a locking variable in to just make sure that they can't. You know, while while that's happening, while that one transaction's happening, there's a lock on it, and then when when the AJAX returns, the lock is released. So I only ever allow yeah, one okay, thing to happen well, see, at once. See, with Prezo, the way he did, and this is you know, obviously I wrote this code back in two thousand. 2006 and it's still you know valid the the is that whenever you add a request it would add it to a queue of pending requests and it would if there was no if there was nothing in the queue it would immediately you know make the underlying call to the xhr component if it wasn't it would add it to the queue and then when the one that's currently waiting to re- get a response from the server once that's done and does this callback then it's, then it then it uh, grabs the next month queue and, and, and pops the stack. I, I like that as a general concept, but in terms of stopping people from doing the same action twice, I think that's... Well, I'm, the, I'm, just, I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. I mean, you know, like let's say in Prezo, where you're clicking, you're doing things, you're dragging, because you know, you're, you're, you're kind of auto-saving in Prezo, yeah. right? I mean, you're doing a lot of behaviors, moving this around, creating this, doing that. It's very easy to do two or three things in a row that might cause it to autosave or to make some call to the server. And if the server is all at all sluggish for a moment and, you know, it takes rather than returning in a 10th of a second, it takes a second to return. Yeah. 
you know, you ended up having all kind of problems. So you, what you want to do is, but you don't want to just lock up the UI anytime the server's slow, just like screw it. You know, it's rare that you're waiting on some of the server. The server's just generally being informed that something needs to be saved or, or changed okay, or updated. That so, to me sounds like a great idea. Um, and it sounds like something that you could write really well. And I think you should release it as a jQuery plugin. And then you can get... You yeah. know, I mean, I've already written it, so that's like write a jQuery. Well, the thing was, is there's something like that, but it's only like 80% done and it doesn't work in a couple of versions. And it's just well, like... Well, just, just why, don't you do, uh, why don't you make one and then release it and then get, get yourself uh, in, that, in the jQuery? Because you're, I mean, you're a bit of a JavaScript expert, right? So this would be a good opportunity to do that. I don't know. What do I get from it? <laughs> what do I get you get, you get you get people uh, driving them to uh, your blog, to App Ignite. You get, I mean, I can't tell you how many customers I've got through EasySQL, you know? Like, really? people, yeah, people discover me on EasySQL, and then I've got the ad for, for Plugio, and then they, they follow it through, you know? It make, it's, yeah. it's just like we're going to get... Yeah, I mean, I, I, if, 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 if I wanted to spend three months, I could probably... I could probably put up GitHub projects. I could probably have 30 to 50 at least. <laughs> okay. You don't have to go that pro- wild. But I'm just saying, but it's like, I, it's like, I just don't know if I have the time. I have projects written in C++ and PHP and JavaScript and C Sharp that do all kind of things that would be interesting. But it's like every single one, it's like, okay, so. Okay, but this one is particularly project- interesting, right? Because I'll tell you why it's particularly interesting, because it's such a central core component of such a hot library. So that's that's my point. Is that this would be an interesting and good, worthwhile marketing thing to pursue? Just off the top of my head, because it's so centralized and core, and it could save a lot of people, uh, like hassle, if if they if they piped all their their um stuff through some routing algorithm like what you're talking about. Yeah, I just got like a request queue, just yeah. a kind of a queuing question. Yeah, yeah, client side queuing mechanism. I mean, you know, I, like I said, there was something that existed. It just wasn't fully working on all versions and had some issues, and then right. I don't know. So that I just find that frustrating, you know. But um, anyway, so I may be the world's last convert to jQuery. <laughs> well, at least you're <laughs> so going to try it. I'll just bring the flag. I like, I'll just bring the JavaScript flag with me. All right, we're going. We're out of here. It's all jQuery now. <laughs> no one, no one writes in raw JavaScript anymore. Well, you might start to like it because there is a lot built into it. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, like I said, I'll probably just have to get used to the. Um, I think I'm about to get used to the uh, some of the idioms. Yeah. That it, that it, I, that I look at it, it looks a little bizarre. I mean, because Guyon showed me his version. His version was pretty short compared to mine. Um, it didn't, I guess maybe it wasn't fair because it wasn't apples to apples. He but was, he's actually built a plugin, though, which is kind of not necessarily the way that you generally do it. I mean, you don't if have, you were just coding, you don't have to build plugins, no. Yeah, so he showed me his, and I was like, what? I, I don't can you please explain this to me? What the hell are you even doing here? You know, it's just bizarre. So I'm going to have to get my eyes used to reading it. But it's almost like when I first started reading, um, uh, when I was actually writing some Node.js code. And one of the things in Node.js, I mean, I'm trying to follow the sort of the programming style, which is that when you're, when you're passing like a, you want a callback function to, a, to, a, um, to any type of uh, function, right? You're passing a lambda. You, you kind of write it inline. And so it's kind of bizarre reading it, reading functions that are kind of written in line as a parameter to another function. Yeah. First, start looking at you're like, I don't understand what the hell's going on because it's as, yeah, it's accessing it's accessing variables that are in, that are outside of its scope and it's you know just in the scope of the calling function. It's just bizarre. But now I look at it, I'm like, okay, that's just how it's written. But I could see other people coming to it and go, just totally blowing a gasket, looking like I have no idea what the hell this is even this even is. 
you yeah. know? And it's just funny. It's so much about training your eyes and, um, I don't know, man. So yeah, I'll, I'll be the last jQuery convert and, oh, you know the question I have to ask? Shoot. So the plugins, why do they, why do they call them plugins? Cause unless I misunderstand something, just because something uses an underlying API, it's not necessarily a plugin. It just uses jQuery as the underlying interface. It doesn't write straight. It, it, it sort of is, is an interface to the browsers, right? A lot of times when I think of a plugin as something that provides an interface for some containing software to, to make calls to it. Yeah, no, it, it, it does that because basically the plugins extend jQuery in an object-oriented way. So you are providing interface. Yeah, you, you, you basically are attaching onto the main jQuery object. Hmm. Interesting, but is that still really a plugin, or the, or is there, are there other things that, that I'm missing? Well, it just you, you can basically override uh, some some stuff, and you can hook into it. I mean, I'm not an expert in this. It would be great to get someone who really knows about this to comment on it. Um, but from what I, you know, the the gut feel I get about it is the plugins are proper, and it, because basically you can then access them with dollar whatever, you know. That's kind of how they're plugged into that global object. Right. R- rather than just being a random function on the page, they're all dollar jQuery dot whatever. Right. You know? I have to say, though, it is a little sad looking at my library, thinking of abandoning it. Ah. We had some good times together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, write some good software with, these, with this stuff, you know, it's like just kick it on the curb and be like, uh, you know, not only is it just, like I said, it's always a little bit of a challenge to learn, <laughs> but just to like throw away all your old code, all your old, your old code. In fact, that was one of the things you talk about sharing code. And I was always kind of irritated that I didn't do this back in 2005, really. I mean, I should have released my own library and into an open, made it open source and try and push it. And this is before jQuery, really. You know, I mean, I had something that was very similar to, say, write.js, you know, in terms of the way it was designed and behaved. And I was like, you know, I should have done that, but oh well. Now it's just going to die in a corner of my hard drive. (laughs) Yeah, but but what's not going to die is all the knowledge and experience that you've got from it. Right. So all that all that stuff still stands. And and basically, you're going to like create a new meta library now, and that's going to be based on jQuery. And that's also going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll end up doing that. I was kind of thinking what what should call that because I was already seeing, okay, there's things that I'm going to want to do. And because while I use jQuery, I, I may or may not use all these, you know, jQuery components because it feels some people feel like they're, they're almost compelled that they have to use open source, even if it's not really working that well, instead of using their own. And I'll t- I don't want to t- get sucked into fixing a bunch of other people's broken stuff. I'll tell you a library that you should check out for JavaScript as well. It, it would be worth your while kind of integrating both of these because they're kind of two separate libraries, is underscore. Um, the underscore library is absolutely awesome. And basically, it's in, instead of dollar, it's underscore, obviously, right? And <laughs> okay. basically, it just gives you all of the things like just so easy to work with arrays, iteration functions, all that kind of stuff, you know, each, all this kind of stuff. So it's just dollar underscore. Like comprehensions and things like that? Yeah, it's, yeah, map reduce, all that stuff is built. And it's it's tiny, and it's just really, really good. Sebastian swears by it. So okay. you, that, that's kind of the thing that you'll probably want to be using a little bit more as well with the kind of deep, deep level stuff that you do. That'd be right, very useful. Right. Yeah. You know, speaking of the deep level stuff, so, you know, the, the whole uh, liking voting ranking stuff that, that 
um, I'm implementing now. Yeah. I mean, that opens up the next question because essentially I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for generating an, an API automatically. Yeah. So you can go in and say, okay, here are all the update and inserts. It's basically CRUD functionality for all the different object types and everything. And then you can, of course, can uh, I'll make it so that you can turn off certain, you can you know make some of them available or some of them not, and they'll have the authentication and it'll return JSON or maybe also XML versions. You know, you can kind of determine the format and has a nice restful sort of you know uh, interface or, or um, URL structure. That's an oxymoron. Rest and nice. I hate rest personally, but anyway. Really? Yeah, I really hate it. Really? Why do you hate it? Why do you hate it? Because so it's, you, it, so you're as frustrated with rest as I am with like looking at jQuery. Like you come yeah, like, yeah. rest bugs the hell out of me. <laughs> okay, why is that? It's like, it, like it, it's it's this kind of and uh, this is me saying something that's really contentious, and I know that I'm going to get some kickback like, about this. I roll. Look at you. Yeah, you, yeah. Girl. <laughs> because because the thing about rest is like it's a pain in the butt to 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 code in rest because if you just if you just post everything in one way, just with one way, and then you, all you change is the variables, then you've just got one URL to think about, and you just change the variables. So you can you can throw like a main action variable, and then you can throw a sub action variable. So you just send everything through one place with a this is what the action is, and this is what the sub action is. That's easy. But with REST, you have to have a different URL for every single action, right? And it has to be like a get URL and you have to do a post URL and you have to think about all these different freaking formatting rules. I absolutely hate it. It's, it's, it just makes it harder to code than having one single URL, a main action and a sub action. It's ridiculous. Well, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little uh, shocked at your contrarianism. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but uh, I am, um, I think one of the reasons maybe you are frustrated with it is the same reason I, I'm a little frustrated with having to move to jQuery is that you had already created something that worked perfectly for mm-hmm. what you were doing, right? You had a framework well, I, I, and an approach yeah. and, a, and sort of just coding habits and everything. You just, it just worked. And it's like, now I got to change everything, this whole other approach. It doesn't add anything. It's just different, right? Yeah, and it's just irritating to have to do that because everybody's go, everybody's going over here, so now I gotta go over here. You know, because you have to follow. You know, like basically, the the general all, all, consensus, the standards is is this is how we do it. Here's we the have protocol. to use the verbs. You know, we have to use the verbs. We have to use the post, put, get, and delete. The verbs that were created with the original creation of HTTP, and it's just like, well, well, why? It's kind of harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, you know exactly why your jQuery irritates me, right? Because you know, if you came into JavaScript and you you hadn't built your own library and you didn't have the experience and, and you found writing cross browser advanced JavaScript, you, you know, confusing and hard and and and, and just basically a, a big time sink, then you would love jQuery, right? Yeah, and and so I think. And, and likewise, I mean, coming into a new technology, if you, ha- you hadn't completely solved it another way, um, then it's usually like, oh, this is great. If you had already solved another way, it's just kind of irritating for all these reasons that we've described. That's funny. I like, I like REST because I like it because it's nice and short and clean and simple. And um, before, you're right, I mean, I had, I, had a, you know, I had sort of my ways of dealing with, with that kind of stuff. Um, but I built AppIgnite around sort of a RESTful approach. You know, yeah. and, and, and everything kind of gets generated in an obvious, you know, way that you would expect and sort of, it makes sense to me in the, in the URLs of the, um, of the API and everything. So. I mean, the good thing about it is it's like with Startup Guild, 
because it looks and works exactly like Facebook, well, then everyone knows, comes in and knows exactly how to use it. So right, that's kind of a good it. thing, right? And so it's the same with REST. Well, everyone uses REST, so everyone knows how to use it, even though it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's stupid. That's so funny. Even though it's stupid. Um, yeah, well, um, so I don't know where we go. Oh, so back to the whole um, API thing that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. So well, I can't remember how we got on that. What was I talking about? That, that That's laying the groundwork for that. The, oh, yeah, for the for the vote, the up up vote and down vote. Thing. Yeah. So, but there's a reason I was getting into that. Do you remember? No. Ah, well, screw it. Your your reasons are always an enigma. That is. Me. Yeah. Um. So I've got um, something else to move on if you want. Yeah, I I want to um, I want to ask you one quick one thing I think might be a, a good segment for the show. Yeah. And this is a little tip of the hat to you is. We should have like a uh, what are the week hi- weekly highlights for Startup Guild, the conversations that actually occurred within Startup Guild. Oh, really? Yeah, that would be very interesting, actually. You know, I mean, maybe during the week, if there's things that people are talking about that they don't mind being publicly discussed beyond the walls of Startup Guild, you could just say, hey, can I bring this up? Because that might be kind of neat, because I have a feeling there'll be some really great conversations going on in there. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at it there, and there's basically one guy posted up saying how he's building... Um, a live uh, kind of image app so that lots of people can come together and create an image. And then there's another guy saying he's creating a live whiteboard app and they're both saying, Hey, Hey, well, we're doing the same thing. Let's get together. Let's have a talk about it. What technology are you using? Right. <laughs> it's cool. right, 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 right. Well, um, you know, actually, so I have another, a whole nother um, topic if you want to move on. Oh, me too. So, but let's go for yours first if you want. Um, this is a completely different topic, but I, so I got an email from one of our listeners. I believe mm-hmm. he's one of our listeners. Definitely had read a couple of my posts. Um, and he was saying, he, he, I guess he said he was inspired by my bootstrapping with kids, um, article. Nice. Back. And he said, but he had a question about, uh, healthcare. Like what, what do I do for healthcare for my family? Right. Cause it's not just me. Yeah. And I thought that might be a good question to answer on on the show so i went and asked sandy <laughs> so i don't really know <laughs> so what do so what do we do for healthcare again because <laughs> luckily sandy um uh and for new listeners sandy's my wife so one thing sandy does is she basically kind of keeps this sh- this uh train on the tracks <laughs> this train being uh, our lives and she um she did a bunch of research on healthcare situation because it's it's kind of a nightmare unless you have a job at a big company that provides all that for you. It's incredibly expensive and it's hard to figure out what's going to be a decent plan that you're not going to pay an arm and a leg for, and then also not get the coverage you need when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And we've come to be believers in the concept of just pay, sort of pay your own way um, as opposed to paying for insurance um, too much upfront because the insurance works in such a way that, it ultimately it benefits them because otherwise it wouldn't be a business. Mm-hmm. So if you aren't very sickly and you're probably not going to use a lot of your insurance, a lot of uh, compared to what you would pay um, normally, if you just had to walk in and, and, and pay um, uh, uh, sort of uh, as an incident occurred, um, then you're going to waste a lot of money. And it's kind of like when you buy like a warranty or something on your computer, you know, like say you go buy a new yeah. Mac, Pro and they say, well, do you want to pay an extra two hundred fifty dollars and you get our special, you know, Mac Care, you know, program or whatever? Well, the reality is, they run the numbers to so that it works in their favor to do that. <laughs> you know, the chances are that it's probably going to 
you know, cost you, you know, statistically speaking, less than if you did that. And um, that's a that's that's definitely an outrageous approach, especially um, in America. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just it's very very outrageous in the sense of wow, that that's really going against the grain. Um, okay, so let, let me let me so let me um, talk specifically. Yeah, so what we have is what's called a health savings account or HSA. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, what you do is, um, and I, I may be slightly wrong in a detail or two here, but this is this is essentially it. That you you can um, if you, once you get an HSA account, which you get through your a bank. So for ours is at Wells Fargo, and we um, you can deduct up to six thousand dollars a year, I think, um, per family. If you uh, that you can we can put into this account and use it towards any medical expenses that might occur anytime in the future. Right. Hmm. So let's say, you know, four years goes by and we've contributed the maximum of roughly $24,000. Okay. So anything that happens that's, that's deductible that we have to pay for, we can pay, um, pay from our HSA account. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Now what we do to have an HSA account, you have to have, um, you have to carry sort of like high deductible insurance at least. So we have high deductible. We pay. We have like a seven thousand dollar deductible. So if I get in a car wreck or get a serious disease, then you know I'll be covered beyond the seven thousand, right? So it doesn't wipe us out, and we have like you know half a million dollars in medical bills or something, right? Which you hear horror stories about on occasion. Yeah. But if it's anything less than seven thousand, we're going to pay 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 for it on our own. And we've just sort of felt, worked out the numbers. Say, look, we don't want to pay, you know. Eight hundred or a thousand dollars a month, or fifteen hundred dollars a month for a family of five, just in the off chance that someone, uh, you know, gets gets hurt, gets needs to go in and get stitches, or you know, someone gets you know, uh, you know, sick and has to go in the hospital for a day or two. Because in the end, it works out statistically to our disadvantage to pay all that up front. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do, and um, you know, knock on wood, we're pretty healthy family so it doesn't cost us a lot and then we just put money away in a health savings account and I think Sandy said for a family of five for us with um, a $7,000 deductible from I think Blue Cross or Blue Shield we pay roughly I think she's about $380 a month is what's with our insurance so you, can, re- so you can imagine what we'd pay if we, were, if we had like some kind of low deductible like a $1,500 deductible family but it would be outrageous it probably costs us thousands of dollars it's really interesting to me that you bring this up um, because sorry to bring up Startup Guild again, but someone brought this up. It's on always Startup Guild. Guild with you, isn't it? I'm just saying someone brought it up. The healthcare, the fact that now that we've got like 300 members here, we could create a group plan, a group health plan. That's a good idea, right? Yeah, exactly. So, That's so you really good idea if you could make that work. Exactly. So, so if we could get like 50 to 100 people to to sign up for a proper Kaiser plan, then you could you could be on the fully blown healthcare for very low rates. That's really, yeah, because see, when you're on your own, it's just cost of fortune, mm-hmm. right? I mean, getting health insurance, it's just, and they'll deny you for anything, right? Yeah. And you have something as simple as like just asthma, no, you get denied. Mm-hmm. You can't get insurance. It's unbelievable. And so if you have a group, obviously it, it makes that much easier. That's a really good idea. And that would be a huge draw for people to join. Yeah. Right? I mean, you talk about writing an article. If you got that in place, and, and let's say that, you know, obviously it's, it's going to grow on its own accord and for other reasons. But if you said, oh, in addition, you know, Hacker News, 
need 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 group health care independent freelancer join startup guild boom yeah that'd be like 800 points to like <laughs> number one like three days uh, yeah i mean it's it's great and and, and what you know if, if we could do that that group health care thing i mean then that that works for families as well doesn't it so so you bring your whole family in on through that works for everything yeah i mean i don't know what qualifies a group i don't know if you have to be a legal organization like say a uh a non-for-profit or a, a corporation, a corporated entity, but you know, maybe you don't, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to be a formal entity. Um, I mean, like we, I have uh, Kaiser healthcare through Georgie cause Georgie basically works for the kind of like a semi, a semi-government organization. Okay. And the Kaiser healthcare is to me, it's just fantastic. I mean, if we could get Kaiser, cause they basically will, will, they'll never turn you away. They'll, they'll deal with anything you want. Like all of the, all of the meds are so incredibly cheap. Basically, the whole point of Kaiser is that they they have all of the aspects of the health um, industry within their organization, and it it behoves them. What is it? Behove or behoove? Behooves. It behooves. But you can them. say you can be say, say behove. <laughs> See, your English, you can get away with it. You like you, you do the whole singular plural posse, uh, possessive. We right. reverse them, but nobody knows it because you're English. They don't. No one pays attention. You okay. So, so as my Kaiser doctor says, it behooves me to make you well so that we spend less money on you right so it's better for me to spend a little bit up front to give you to give you this meds and this this right advice so that you get better so we don't have to spend more because if i if i just let things slip by and don't focus on your health and just let you get worse and worse and worse you're going to end up costing us a lot more money in the long run so i so kaiser's all about preventative well you know what you should do is you could you should check that against i mean Look, I'm not a big expert on the whole healthcare thing, but I know that um, you get a lot less choice when you're in an HMO like Kaiser than if you're a PPO, um, right. preferred provider organization, yeah. I think it's called. So you can pick any, say, doctor. So sometimes what happens, and you hear horror stories about this every, every once in a while, and especially like in sports when someone like, say, tears a knee ligament and they have to have like a reconstructive surgery. I've had right. I've had my ACL reconstructed on both my knees at different times, and with a PPO, I could look with anyone who's within the organization. It could be hundreds of orthopedic surgeons, and I could pick the the guy who does you know surgeries uh, for professional athletes, you know, or you know, and, and drive across town if I want to. And, and that's do interesting. Care. As opposed to like, well, this is the guy you're using. This is your primary physician, and he will send you to this Kaiser guy, and this is the guy only guy that's going to do it. And it's kind of a roll of dice because just like everything in life. You know, there's a whole range of ability. Just because some one orthopedic surgeon is not the same as all, just like one coder is not the same as all, one basketball player is not the same as all of them. There's a huge range, and if there's something that's going to be as important to you as the quality of your knee recovery, if you're a competitive athlete and you're like, you know, I want the guy who does five reconstructive knee surgeries every day and has been doing them for ten years and and gives talks and conferences to other other orthopedic surgeons, you know, that's who I want doing my knee surgery. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Listen, I've just had an, a kind of idea, like uh, having this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I both have a lot on our plate, and but we we know someone who could research this and who could give us some very good information about it. Who? Sandy, <laughs> Sandy. <laughs> yeah, she, she, as a mother of three, she has nothing else to do. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that she has nothing else to do, but she's extremely gifted at this. I'll ask her what she. I'll ask her to do a little research. She, one thing she doesn't mind doing is research. She's really good at research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So she she can research and find out. You know what? Like if it, like how many people would it take for us to have through Startup Guild to 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 kind of get a good rate through PPO? Yeah, because let's say that let's say the Startup Guild by the time you get this sort of sorted out gets up to a thousand members. 
Yeah. Even if, say, only one in 10 were actually interested in getting a plan, you had 100 people, that's yeah. a lot of buying power. Yeah. 100 person company is a lot of buying power. And in fact, you might want to put it off for a while because the more people you have signing at the same time, the more buying power, the more leverage you have, and probably the better rate you can get and the better deal you can get. It would be my guess. Well, that would be really interesting to know. I mean, because, yeah, then, then I can post a, post a blog post or we can post a blog post that says, look, this is our plan. This is where we're moving towards. Yeah. And if you, if you went in with 20 people, it would be a lot less leverage than if you went in with 250 people. Yeah, You're going to have exactly. a lot of healthcare brokers who can take that 250 person or family buying power and get you a hell of a... I mean, J- Jason, that is a startup idea in its own right, like Groupon for Health. Yeah, no, that's good. Group buying healthcare. Yeah, group buying healthcare. Group, yeah. I mean, that is a Jesus. I could get. I could walk into Y Combinator and get funding for that right now. Like for different verticals, different communities, and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know how you'd make it, but uh, but uh, I, you know that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, I would definitely if you can do it for a sort of some sort of informal group like Startup Guild, um, that would be awesome. Be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it it may the the group may need to there may need to be some formality behind it. So it may need to, for example, become a non profit organization, and then everyone gets some paperwork say that they work for that non profit organization kind of thing, or have some kind of membership to it, right? Like you say, like okay, here's a, a premium member. Let's say let's yeah. say the premium member pays some kind of nominal fee. Let's say it's yeah. hundred dollars a year or something, or fifty dollars, yeah. hundred dollars a year, and as part of that, they become a member of uh, this nonprofit organization, or even if you made it a problem, maybe you made it an LLC, right? An LLC yeah. is a really sort of a, a, a loosey-goosey type of organization. I've had a number of LLCs, and it doesn't cost that much to set them up, and it doesn't cost that much to yearly fees, but it's a, it's a you know, what you would call a proper legal or, um, organization mm-hmm. or entity, and you could use that. If Startup Guild became Startup Guild LLC, then you and and to become a member of the LLC, people just have to fill out some paperwork, and maybe maybe just to make it sort of more legit, they have to pay some kind of you know nominal yearly membership, and and as part of that, as one of the number of benefits, it would be the uh, ability to buy into the health plan, to become participate in the health plan. Awesome, that's that sounds awesome. Well, uh, I'm sure Sandy's going to be pissed that I've uh, recommended her to do the research on this, but that'd be awesome <laughs> if she could. Well, if it ended up saving us money in the end, if we got better yeah. health care for less money, I mean, you know, we'd be all for it. Uh, she'd be all for it, but. Um, ultimately, I'd love to hear back from any of our listeners because there might be a few of our listeners who have done different types of research on this and might know something about it. So please yeah. let us know your thoughts if you I think it's a good idea and also if you know anything about it. Okay, so I've got another one. Um, so the, the secret project that myself and Sebastian are working on, we're getting very close to making a decision that our whole project is going to be rolled out through jQuery Mobile. Really? Okay. Yeah, and which is interesting because we're we're actually thinking our main website will be jQuery Mobile as well. What does that mean? It means that <clears throat> your main website that if I if I go visit through my browser right now, I'm going to see a mobile. Yeah, you're going to see oh, a, a kind of basically a really nice shiny iPhone style interface for the whole thing, <laughs> right? Whether you're on your main website or whether you're on your mobile or whether you're on your iPhone or whatever. Okay, why? Because it it's just like why why have different interfaces? Because basically, the interface is very, very simplified. It's very simple. It's very easy to use. It makes the whole product, it just kind of makes the whole product make sense. Because it, it takes you away from this idea of having to create or, you know, thinking of other intricate little concepts. When you, when you, go, when you go through that framework and you look at everything through the lens of, a, of an iPad, 
basically i just think it's going to be a really interesting experiment okay so it's an ipad it's not an iphone it's not an iphone app so no 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 like like an like an ipad but it's essentially the direction that um that the new mac os os x is going in is it going in that direction yeah it's go- it's going in a kind of like simplifying the whole ui down to the kind of ipad type ui hmm. well so that's that's, 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 that's interesting i'll be curious i'll be interested to see what you uh come up with what it looks like and it means we don't need to build two versions. You know, we just build the one version, which kind of works on iPad tablet, Android tablet, p- d- desktop, and have the whole kind of sign-up journey in there as well. You know, like the the subscription journey, every every part about it, even the blog. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little on the fence on this one, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I can see it working. I can see it be kind of gimmicky, and like you might get some attention for it, and I can see that it might be a good first version one it's like ah we can get a version up quickly i i think in the long run if this thing works and it starts generating money that you'll end up building a a a sort of a specialized browser-based interface but that's just my guess i'm gonna throw that out there and we'll see okay but it's it's you i mean what the the hell (laughs) i mean you know give it a try i mean it doesn't take any extra work probably so it's like you could do this experiment for free yeah it allows you to rationalize and not you know doing less work you know we'll see what happens well the ipad interface is very good i mean do you, do you have an ipad yet i do not yeah i mean the like the way that ipad apps can hang together can be very 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 nice good interface like even the um they've got the little excel one and the word one i mean okay that i guess for excel and word you on desktop you would want it more complicated but for what we need i think it could be i you know i think we're gonna have a good good shot Hmm. No. We'll see. When are you going to release it? Um, when are we going to release it? That's a good question. I mean, is this like a term thing? Like, is it weeks away or are you months away? We, we've, well, we haven't started coding. We're just still working on kind of mocking the whole thing up. But I'm hoping by the end of this month, we can have something out there, certainly to to you. <laughs> I don't know whether to the public. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even have an iPad. So. But within a few, we, like we, we'll have the, we'll have the jQuery mobile UI um, kind of, uh, you know, you can kind of with spoof mock data, we'll have that ready in the next couple of weeks. So are you going to um, sell it through it as an iPad app? Is that prim- going to be your primary revenue no. model? Web app. People are going to pay to use a web app that looks like an iPad app. Yep. Are they going to use and but they're going to use this web app on their tablets? I don't know. They could if they they could if they want, but the main purpose of it is the desktop app to start with. My my <laughs> my confidence that that's going to work a long time is a little bit lower. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Give it a shot. All right. If that's what you think, we'll that's see. What I think. That's what I think. Good. I'm glad to take on the um Well, it's it's kind of like the old school well, it's kind of like people when they're using a Mac, they don't like to see a Windows style UI and vice versa. It just feels like it's out of place. They're kind of irritated by it. Mm-hmm. You know, like people who use Macs like to use Macs that Mac applications that look are native, that look and behave natively, that don't have that are that weren't written in some language like you know Java that that is calling that's sort of drawing its own UI in a way that it looks like it's. A Windows app, it just people get really irritated by that. So I wonder if that'll happen. Yeah, that's interesting. That is a good point because I, I I feel that way if I use apps, but that's I don't feel that way about web apps as much as I do about actual desktop apps. Ever use a web app where they tried to make it look like um, 
you know, it, like a toolbar and desktop. It almost looked like a Windows app, like even yeah. colors and just like, ah, oh, I hate this. It's not, it doesn't yeah. look and feel like a web app. It just looks, and a lot of sort of uh, enterprise apps look that way. Well, the funny thing is if you go to the jQuery mobile site and browse around, it doesn't feel painful in any way. I mean, it just feels nice yeah. to me anyway. Like, you know, I mean, you know, like a, it, it may just come down to the fact that the iPad design is is really nice and maybe that'll work who knows anyway that's what we're doing oh, okay so what's what's next no you got something don't you i got, no, I got that, that was my that was my next okay my next is um all right so looking at my list of things um all right so oh here's one uh so u.s spy operation that manipulates social media so it's been revealed that the I guess the U.S. Um, I'm not sure if it's CIA. Well, I think it's it might be CIA or something, but um, is using that whole sock puppeting approach. Oh yeah, yeah. Talked about that through the HB Gary was going to use, which is like creating. You create all these sort of fake accounts on Twitter and Facebook and wherever, wherever per, false personas, and you sort of spend time investing in them, building them up so they're sort of credible personalities. They might have a, you know they have a an avatar that looks real. They have a background. It's great. They have a personality that's consistent. They have the same sort of username or in, in bio details across all these different types of social media. And then what they're doing is using it to uh, a sort of propaganda. So for instance, and right now the, the, the saying is they're, they're what they're claiming is that they're using it to um, counter um, any radicalization that's going on in, say, like the Middle East. So when people, and, and so it's only used in languages like um, Arabic or Farsi or whatever. Okay. And so they're claiming that it's not used in America or in English because that would be illegal. Propaganda is illegal, right? <laughs> I mean, theoretically. So, so they're spreading proper propaganda in like the, the, the most kind of high octane places possible. Right. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> from their perspective, it's like, well, we have a bunch of people who, who try and get other people pulled into this radicalization and, 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 and want to cre- you know, create violence of some kind, incite violence of some kind. And so what they're going to do is go on these forums and blogs and things and, and create, have like a, a, a sort of an offsetting voice, right? And like trying to uh, put in a different perspective so that you know there's th- that these things don't kind of gain too much traction. Okay, so they're so they're being nice. Well, so, that's so, the claim. Or they're so, just so, being- so for example, when 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 radicalists are saying something like we should have a jihad and kill everyone in the West, they're saying, well, that's not such a good idea. Probably much more subtle than that. Like they say, okay, well, let's say that you have a bunch of people in various parts of the world who are upset that we're um, in Libya. Now. The U.S. is now in Libya and that we're bombing you know, uh, in Libya. Okay, right, yeah. You see, you might be a lot of people say, hey, that's, you know, that that's yet another incident of the U.S. bombing Muslim, a Muslim country. Right. Right? And that's, you know, the example why the U.S. is, you know, evil and why different things, you know, <laughs> things like that, right? And you could say, well, what they're saying is like, listen, we're trying to help, you know, uh, the population of Libya from being you know, injured or killed okay. by, you know, that kind of thing, right? Now, so you can see how that could work. But you can see how this kind of thing could be started with the best of intentions, but could get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a very dangerous type of tool. 
um, because you know when do, where do, where does the propaganda start and where does it where does it end? Right? You start to say, okay, well, we're just going to these countries that are really far away from our our country. So, and it's still propaganda. It's still manipulation of another group of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. And you say, well, now it's into you know now you know they're using it in different parts of Europe, maybe. Right? Maybe they're using it in uh, Turkey. And then maybe they're moving into France. And then maybe they're using it into Germany. And maybe they're in England, right? <laughs> it's like, it's just like the whole eavesdropping programs. Like the US is like, well, we have all these real, the NSA has all these really advanced um, eavesdropping programs. I think under the term uh, echelon. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're, basically, they're just sucking in all emails and phone calls. And, you know, that's illegal to uh, basically wiretapping all laws to to do that to Americans. What are they looking for? Are they looking for, is it basically terrorists or is it like uh, other things like people doing illegal stuff, like smuggling drugs and things? Okay. Well, the way a lot of things, these things start is they start under the, um, with the idea that they're trying to fight some foreign enemy, whether it was communism back before the fall of the Soviet Union or whether it's, you know, against, you know, terrorists or terrorism or something, you know, but then it's like, okay, well, it's terrorism and uh, drug cartels. Well, it's terrorism, drug cartels and child pornographers. Like what other scary things can you invent that makes people say, well, I'm not going to, even though what you're doing is potentially could be viewed as manipulative or evil or dangerous, um, or unconstitutional, we're going to, we're not going to, it allows people to drop their guard because they're saying, well, the things we're sort of fighting against are really dangerous. So we'll give it a pass in this. But the problem is power usually goes in one way, right? So when governments mm-hmm. pick up more power, they just pick up more power. They're not interested in relinquishing power. That doesn't happen. Mm. It happens very rarely. So, you know, you, like these wires, you know, you start wiretapping or creating these programs that are, that are spying on foreigners and then it's even americans who may happen to be in foreign countries and then it's like well a lot of this traffic gets bounced through um you know routers or something that are in parts of the u.s and so you're you know monitoring them like the whole uh the nsa thing set up it's in um i guess on Folsom street in san, in san francisco at the at&t headquarters i mean mm-hmm. they, had that up on, they had that up on 60 minutes and stuff back in like 2006 and it's pretty clear that they're monitoring most all traffic, if not all traffic. And there's a lot of, you know, evidence to demonstrate that, uh, you know, these are, there's a lot of programs that, uh, not just the w- programs that there was a lot of brouhaha back in 2006, seven and eight about um, wiretapping, but that there are programs that aren't even discussed, that haven't been acknowledged. So why did you want to bring this up? Well, it's interesting about the whole sock puppet thing, right? The whole thing of creating, you know, social media that yeah. can be, it's uh, creating false, personas and false counts and i'm just very curious like how far that's going to get pushed and like will there be sort of a reaction to that like a way of detecting when there are false personas and when there are real personas like who's a sock puppet and who's not right i mean if if because i can't imagine it would be possible what's that i can't imagine it would be possible i mean if it was good so because basically the sock pocketing Puppeting, not puppeting. <laughs> puppeting software will still be, that's a tongue twister, will still be basically input by humans and humans can input, you know, messages that are just not really going to be detectable as, as spam when you have a real human creating real content. Well, you know, what's interesting is I remember there was some software that we used that could get to detect who had written it. Like there was some software that had, that 
had analyzed a bunch of writings from uh, Steve Jobs, and then it it found out that it it detected that it was him writing in some forum, countering some anti Apple conversations that were going on. And this is like you know eight or ten years ago or something like that. And he admitted it was him <laughs> because the software had been trained to be able to say, you know, most likely Justin Vincent wrote this. And we've analyzed, we've read his blog. I mean, we've analyzed all the writings of the blog. This is his. This is how he writes. This is most likely Justin Vincent. That's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if you could do something like that, sort of like you know finger pinning. I mean, you because we all have, but it's still humans who are writing it. So then you just have to get to know what one of their employee, you know, oh, this is the style of that employee. Kind well, of thing. what you could do is say, well, it looks like five of these um, different personas are all the same person based on the writing style. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like like um, examining handwriting. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. But the other thing is that one thing we're talking about in this article is that, you know, these, um, the software, the sock puppeting sort of software, and there's some startup that they've contracted with to do this, but essentially what it'll do is it'll, um, they have servers that are overseas so that, you know, if, if they're, if they're say using Facebook or uh, creating accounts on Facebook or Twitter or something, that stuff actually gets routed through the server, through some interface and actually, actually looks like it's originate and originates comes out in the wild from, say, a, a server, say, in uh, you know, Eastern Europe or South America or something, right? Well, the best would be if they had, which they probably do, which they totally wouldn't admit, is they had botnets on, pe- on people's computers in that country and then post it from individual IPs. Well, which they could do. I mean, there's, there's, and there's, that's, you know, very likely that that could be possible, right? I mean, if you're an intelligence agency and you're trying to hide what you're doing, and it, you want to be able to use as wide a range of IPs and as wide a range of locations as possible, then maybe you use botnets to do it. The question I have for you is this. Are we a bootstrapper show or not? <laughs> I think that, I don't think we're a bootstrapper <laughs> show. I think that we discuss bootstrapping a fair amount. And I think it's uh, part of the show, but I don't think we're not a show strictly about bootstrapping. Because we've had a few arguments about this offline about, you know, I keep on saying, oh, we're a bootstrapper show. And you're like, no, we're not a bootstrapper show. And I'm like, yeah, we are a bootstrapper show. And you're like, no, no we're not. So because, you say because, definitively we're not a bootstrapper show. No, I mean, you know, we talked to Kevin O'Connor last week. He's not, he's not a bootstrapper. We've, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jessica Ma from Indonero, she didn't bootstrap her company. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, maybe she did it first, but then she got funding. I mean, I just think that that unnecessarily um, paints us into a, a smaller box. Because I think <clears throat> the way I look at it is we pretty much are a bootstrapper show because the show is about mainly about us and what we're doing. And I'm not saying that the show will be a bootstrapper show forever, but I kind of think the phase that we're in in our lives right now is a bootstrapping phase. So what we the, the, set, the central focus of the show, as far as I can see, is bootstrapping because that's what we do. So at least, you know, 50% of our show, like we release two shows a week. So one's, one's an interview and one's us. And the majority of what we talk about is bootstrapping. No, right? I mean, a lot of what we talk about is just pure technology. Or in technology. I guess. I mean, sometimes we talk about, but I think, I mean, what percentage of what we talk about is, is actually startup business stuff versus, say, um, technology. But like my way of looking at it is that our our main theme the, the the i i kind of feel like what we talk about most is like how you're getting on with app ignite how i'm getting on with Plugio, right sure well you and i are definitely bootstrapping our product yeah we're, we're so we're bootstrapping and that's our phase 
so so right now the show is going through the phase of bootstrapping and there, there will be a time when we are going through the phase of running a hundred million dollar company phase you know but right oh. now it's the bootstrapping <laughs> phase maybe not a hundred million but hopefully it'll be significantly more than it is now sure i'm pretty sure i mean if we if we stick if we stick with this and keep this going you know for a, a couple of years we, you know <laughs> we'll, we'll have the big company and then we'll be we'll be those guys who had the podcast where they were bootstrapping had the podcast where they started having medium success and then had the podcast when they had big success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I, 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 the, the, I guess my one, maybe the problem I have with bootstrapping, uh, as, as a term is, is pegging the show as a bootstrapping firm, a bootstrapping, uh, show is I feel like it, just like your blog post, uh, your entrepreneur blog post, it, it sort of talks about as if like, this is sort of, and not that this is just a temporary state. And when I think of bootstrapping too, um, it's 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 sort of pre-self-supporting full-time revenue. Right? Yeah. I think once you have, once you're making enough to pay yourself and maybe have a couple employees, I think I don't really call yourself a bootstrapping. I think when people think of, I mean, yeah, you used revenue to build the company as opposed to taking investment to build the company, right? And so bootstrapping is in a sense called not take, you could say, well, that's not taking outside funding. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think most people, when you think of bootstrapping, it's usually almost that phase of where you are building it on the side while you're funding yourself doing either by a full time job or freelance work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's small. It sounds kind of like we're focusing on this very nascent stage. And um, it just also seems like, like like you're more focused on that just being the thing as opposed to we're just temporarily here. You know, like we're like if, if, if you and I are like sort of like not um, if, it, if, we, if, if, we, if we go back in time and, you, and Plugio wasn't released and Appignize weren't released, it's like, well, we're not actually a software show. We're just sort of like a pre-release software show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, and, yeah. I don't, and I don't want to think like that. And I also feel like bootstrapping sounds kind of small fry in a way. It sounds like small ball to me. If that's what you're talking about. Yeah, we're bootstrapping now, but I don't want to think of myself as a bootstrapper and we're bootstrapping. It's like, yeah. I'll, I'll be proud of the fact if I can build AppIgnite off its own revenue and off its own steam, that's something to be proud of because it's harder to do it that way. Um, and I think, so anytime it's harder to do something. So it seems to me like the issue, the issue for you is that the term bootstrapping is aligned with a bunch of connotations that you don't want to be part of. Yeah. It just sounds real small fry. It sounds like small ball. It sounds so like, it's what it sounds like it, rather it, than what it I, is. That's the problem. Yeah. So, so what about if we said no investment? I, I just only want to focus on on that because I just don't think it's even worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, we are building software. We are we're currently neither of us have taken any investment. We're building it off our own, you know, revenue. But I just feel like using that term gives a connotation of just smallness, and that's kind of where the argument came from. Because like Alex Payne, who was arguing with you about it, was talking about, and I think part of it, um, some of the things he said were, I think, unnecessarily um, pejorative, but what bothered him ultimately was sort of his his impression of the smallness of the thinking. Whereas mm. a lot of the best ideas start as small ideas and they grow into something bigger. I mean, you talk about like Twitter, for instance, um, you know, started as a small idea. It was a two-week project that they worked on while they're at Odeo, right? I mean, and, and there, are, there are tons of examples of... of oh, actually, I think I even have some... Uh, I was, there, was an, there was an article... Uh, called um, I was going to bring up called "Don't Bet Big." Little bets are the ones that turn into billion-dollar ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. It was a good article. Yeah, and it was a good one. It was what's the other example they use? Yeah, Google was like a library search thing. They okay, started- okay. So could we be 
the Start Small Get Big podcast. Can we just be texting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when why people have, say what why, you, why do you have to why do you have to why do you have to frame it in some way like that? Why don't you call yourself I'm the Start Small Get Big guy? Are you well, the- because I'll tell you what I really like. I really like the idea of people being able to take control of their own destiny rather than wait for someone else, you know, to kind of hunker after someone else handing them a meal ticket. And that's what I personally like about, that's the positive connotations of bootstrapping and start small, get big, that for me, I feel very passionate about. And that's why I like aligning myself with it. Because it's like, hey, this is like emancipation for the masses. And to me, that's nothing to sniff at. That's like very cool. Yeah, I don't really think that, first of all, I guess I'm not a big uh, big movement guy. You know, it's like, hey, if you want to do it, do it, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of like where we're talking to Jeff Atwood, and he's like, my, you know, I want to educate the world's programmers so that they're better programmers. You know, right. I don't really care. You know, if you want to be a better programmer, make, make yourself into a better programmer. You know, it's your, your, right. your deal, right? I don't, I'm not really interested. I mean, I, and I'll, you know, take responsibility for my own. I, I guess for some reason it just, if people want to improve their situation, then do it. But I'm not. But gonna- sometimes people don't know. I mean, that's kind of the point of the entrepreneur post. Is like when when all of your peers are going one way, and they're all kind of saying this is the way to do it. Chase after this investment. Then that then you just don't think for yourself. Like you need someone to kind of hold up a flag and say, hey, hey, hold on a second. There is another way, right? You know, you can do it this other route. Well, I would say this. I mean. If there was no movement, guys, they would never hear about that. So someone has to be a movement guy. Okay, well, if you, and I'll say if you want to be the movement guy, be the movement guy. I mean, the way I see it is that, you know, they're both valid ways to build companies. Um, and I don't believe that, oh, it's like, you know, one in a thousand people get funded. I got funded in every idea I ever had and the first person I asked about it. Every single time. And I'm not like... But that's funded by friends and family. That's not funded well, that's by they proper... Nobody goes to a VC the first time anymore, or even ever did. I mean, it was rare that you would walk into a VC, and you tried that once, which I told you was a bad idea, and of course it didn't work. You go to friends and family, you build a prototype on your own, you get as far along as you can, whether in the old days it was just building mock-ups, and, and, and then it got to building prototypes, and it got to building a workable site with users, and then they got to be building a workable site with some paying users, right? Because people were figuring out how to get along further. But you go, you can go to, you know, friends and family who have enough wealth to want to invest 20 or 50,000 or you go to angel investors. I mean, maybe I was lucky that I happened, I've always happened to know enough people who were, you know, worth a lot of money that investing, investing in a startup wasn't a big deal for them. But I it's think it's not that, easy to get money from angel investors. You, you have been lucky. I'm, I'm sorry, why but am I lucky. Why am I lucky? How can I be lucky like five times in a row? Well, because you because you're a very you're a very high caliber developer very high, you you have very high caliber ideas and you're very good at networking and like it's like when when we did when you did that talk in the ruby group right mm-hmm. um one of the first things that the person said the, the first comments that you got after the thing was i can understand why you're being successful it's you your general personality is magnetic people are drawn to that personality that's the first thing that someone said like, if you have a winning personality, you're always going to get, you know, do well in life. You're always going to get investment. But many, many entrepreneurs and many tech guys can't walk into a room and light up the room with, you know, quick wit and just everyone kind of respects them. It doesn't work that way, right? So those guys are going to find it very hard to get angel because the whole 
premise of angel investment is about your charismatic personality? Well, um, okay. <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard to argue with a compliment, but <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that, no, I'm, I'm so saying, I, that, I'll, I'll I'm saying the premise of angel investing is generally based on personality rather than idea in my experience. I think you're right. Well, I think that's a good point because you hear, I hear that uh, you hear that a lot sort of um, from angel investors and VCs that they that every time that they've gone after an idea rather than a the team, they've made a mistake. Both by picking a team, basically by picking an idea and saying, hey, this is a good idea, but the team, idea, the team isn't that great. That's been a mistake. Or this is a great team, but it's a bad idea. That's been a mistake. It's like your comment is like, it's like Tiger Woods saying, Hey, I keep I keep winning the World Cup. Why doesn't everyone? It's like it's like just totally doesn't make any sense. Now, if Tiger Woods did world the, win the World Cup, that would be impressive. Not the World Cup, you know the what's it called the the golf one, the Masters. Yeah, the, it's like Tiger Woods. He's like, hey, I keep on winning the the Masters. Like, why doesn't everyone win the Masters? Come on, it's really easy. Like, okay. of course, everyone can, everyone can win the Masters. All right, all right. So, okay, obviously, you know, winning the Masters would be like you know building a hundred million dollar company. All I was able to do is get you know, sort of angel level funding on different ideas at different times. So I don't want to make it seem like it was a bigger deal than it was. But here's what I think. Um, I haven't met anyone who's done, like, who's done that to the same level as you. Like, you're the only person I know who's consistently got, you know, plus 200,000 angel investing on, on more than one project. I don't know anyone else who's done that. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So maybe, okay. Oh, the, maybe the, the, you, you'll, you'll need to unplug the mic there. Is that bound? Is it okay? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say to that. All right. Um, I, I, because I, I don't want to acknowledge it too strongly because it's going to make me sound like a, an ass. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I really am great at that. I, you know. I, okay. I, I definitely have tended to have success at persuading people of things, and and if one of those persuade, if one of those things is investing in me, that I've usually been pretty successful with that. So. Yeah, I think I, you know, I would definitely say that's maybe a strength that I have. I mean, obviously, I have my own weaknesses. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? So if I walk in and I try and make a sale or get some investment or something, I'm usually, I'm pretty confident that it's going to work out and probably because it has generally worked out. Now, uh, some of our listeners and some of people, readers and stuff, they're also going to have that advantage. They're just good at getting people to believe in them and want to work with them and want to trust them and that kind of stuff, right? And invest in them, right? Mm -hmm. So for those people, I'd say, listen, you know, if you can build a prototype, I mean, get as far along as you can anyway, because if, whether, even if you, if you take investment, the further along you are, the more risk you remove from the table and the better valuation you're going to get, right? If you walk in with something you worked over the weekend and you try and get investment, maybe you can, but there's so much risk on the table of execution and idea and market risk that's all still right there that, that investor is not going to give you the best deal. If you can work, push it a little further down the road, then yeah, get some investment. So the thing about bootstrapping is it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to work on freelancing and switch gears and work on launching something. And I don't mean that, that it's, um, it's just, it's just not as easy as if someone just writes you a check for, you know, 100 or 200 grand and one or two people sit there and crank on some software for three to six months. As hard as people say, you hear people whine about how hard that is, it's not as hard as is working a full-time job or working a full-time, near, nearly a full-time number of hours working for one or more clients and then trying to carve out time to launch a startup. That's hard. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't care what anyone says. I mean, here I was like, oh my God, you don't believe how hard a startup is because, you know, you know, two or three of our friends, we sit in our apartment for 12 hours a day and write code. I mean, that's the only you have to worry about? <laughs> Dude, give me a break. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's nothing. I mean, maybe that's hard to, you know, having before when you just worked a job eight hours a day, five days a week, or, you know, you were, you know, you just a couple of years out of college or grad school where you just showed up to class. So then why do you take bootstrapping as sounding like small fry when in fact it's such a, a, a much larger feat? No, it, okay. Here's the thing. Um, okay. I think there's two, there's two questions there really. It is harder. I have more respect. Honestly, I have more respect for people who've built uh, bootstrapping, uh, who bootstrapped as opposed to somebody who took funding because I know how hard it is. Right. It's like somebody's paid their way through college and they didn't take out their parents didn't pay or something. You're like, that's yeah. that's impressive. You're an impressive person. You really have showed your mettle. Not only were you able to cover all your expenses, you were to build something out of nothing and make that profitable. It's just imp- impresses me because I know how hard it is. Now, if somebody says, oh, you know, I got accepted to Y Combinator or I went and I did a demo day and, and so investor, you know, we raised, you know, a quarter million dollars and we built something. That's still impressive, but it's not like nearly as impressive to me. Right. Yeah. Um, for me too. I but, agree with that. You know, but, but the other thing I'd say is like, you know, is using the term bootstrapping for some reason, it gives me the connotation of people making a thousand or two thousand dollars a month. And that's kind of like, they're kind of stuck in that phase. It just feels small to me, but that maybe, maybe that's just me. And but I central desktop bootstrapped and they're, they're turning over like a couple of million a year. They, yeah, it's like they bootstrap, but they're not bootstrapping anymore. Like they bootstrapped for the first year and then they were so profitable, right? I, I think we need to expand the term because I think bootstrapping is, I mean, I think central, but test, oh God, my. Central I think central desktop are bootstrapping. That's my theory. Well, they actually ended up taking VC funding oh, three, three, three years in. I mean, <laughs> oh, no. I mean but okay. they were already making, you know, millions of dollars a year or something yeah. by the time they took it. It was just like, they're making so much money. They were so successful. They're growing so well that, that they get calls, you know, every week by VCs interested in investing in them. And finally they accepted it. Just like 37 Signals just took, you know, some huge investment, VC investment. Did you read about that? No, I didn't. No. Yeah, they took some massive investment. I it was like 60 million or 40 million, some huge some amount. amount. Um, but I don't I, I I guess I wouldn't apply the phrase or the term bootstrapping once you sort of are past the point of needing any sort of funding other than the revenue from the startup. You're then you're just a self-funded startup. Then you're just you know, you're just a company. You're just, you're just a company, right? Um, but when you're when you're working part-time on it, that's bootstrapping, I think. Okay. And I think um, and I think that also because it's so hard to do and it's so hard for companies to to get enough escape velocity, they they that they can get beyond just something that makes them an extra grand or two a month or something that other people look at it and go, well, your probability is against that you're ever going to get beyond that. So you're, you're, you're automatically thinking small. That's okay. the perception. So I can understand that. Um, so what I would say is, and one last thing I wanted, point I want to make is, depending on where you are in your life, depending on your skill set, depending on your financial obligations, funding may be the best route. Bootstrapping it may be the best route. Or maybe a hybrid. You bootstrap it until you get a certain point, and then you go for funding, right? I mean, if you don't know anybody, you have no connections, right? You're living in middle, you're living in Kansas. <laughs> you know, you went, you didn't go to some school where you have a lot of friends who have connections. Um, you're, you're not a big shot in the open source world or you have a big blog, and you're like, okay, so, um, you know, you're going to have to prove yourself somehow. So the way you prove yourself is you get 
get something built and you're and you start generating some money. And then once you're generating some money, um, you know, even if it's like a few thousand dollars a month, that's usually enough that you can start some conversations with some investors if you want to do it. Um, so some people are, are that they have no choice, right? But let's say that you're, you know, early, mid, late twenties, even, right? You don't have a lot of financial obligations. You don't have kids or a mortgage, and so you, and and you have connections. You know people in in the investment world, the angel world. Why not apply to Y Combinator, or why not build something quickly and and go for investment, and get a you know get a quarter million of funding, and, and be off to the races? I mean, why yeah, suffer? Agree. Why, why not suffer? try? Yeah, why suffer for six months or a year of working your butt off every weekend and night just so that you can get this thing off the ground? Well, one reason is that one reason is is that even if you do get that funding, even if you do go down that route, there's no guarantee of success. But um, you you may potentially learn more of the overall kind of macro aspect of business in its entirety if you do it that other way. But but to be honest, with so many mentors and and people helping you out, you're probably going to learn. I mean, you're definitely going to learn a huge amount from the net. You know, like the Y Combinator network. So. Yeah, and you don't even have to get into Y Combinator. I mean, with Techstars or you know any of these other capital factory and these other yeah. accelerators because they're popping up all over the place. Yeah, I mean, so you know, for me, the reason that I did go for investment this time is I just couldn't support my family off of a startup level, pre-revenue level uh, salary. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it, it's it's kind of hard, I think, to argue to get paid a six figure salary when the company's not you know still building its for building its first version and doesn't have a product. Exactly, I think yeah. it's hard to argue. Now that said, I remember talking to Travis about that. Now Travis Kalanick, who we had on the show a while back, who um, you know he sold his company to Akamai Red Swoosh for some you know sixty million dollars, and he's the CEO of Uber, which I do some consulting with uh, for now. I mean, I had the conversation with him, and he's like. He he basically said no, that's not true, Jason. He's like, you know, a guy like you with your background, he's like, you could, you could, you know, we it would be understood that, you know, you would need a higher salary because you, you know, you're uh, you're not 25, you have financial responsibilities, and you know, if there was a belief that you can deliver something, then people would be okay with you paying yourself a higher salary. So I was apparently wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe I could, maybe it would have been smarter for me, you know, after I had like a very simple version of Epic Night working that I try and, you know. Go after some investment. Well, you could have got it, <laughs> knowing your track record. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I figure, I more or less, I guess, have been batting a thousand. So I guess my confidence would be pretty high that if I, I could have, you know, gotten some funding. But you know, who knows? I did, I didn't try. So, but now I'm at the point where, um, and not to get on the, not get off track, but um, I'm so far along now that I want to get a little further on my own before I even consider that. But I'm not opposed to it if. If it was, uh, yeah. I didn't have to give up too much of the company and, um, I got, you know, got enough funding and, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to get people involved and lose control and have to take a bunch of advice that I don't really want to have to take. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, um, I get it. That's also my personality too. So. All right. Well, um, I think, uh, we've, we've been going for a while now. Um, this has been, this has actually been an awesome episode. One of my favorites. Um, yeah, that's a good time. What do you think? I mean, have you got have you got any more anything else you want to bring up? Well, one thing I say is I, I kind of like are we I, I I'm I'm more on I think when it's not in the morning. I know the morning is when it works on our schedules best. I I think, yeah. I, think I think a little better when it's later in the day. Maybe yeah, we've fine. we've done two Sundays and they they've worked out very nicely. The Sunday afternoons. 
I like Sunday afternoon if it works for you. But if it doesn't, I mean, we can switch it up whenever you want. But we, I don't, you know, this is. I think Sunday afternoon could work for me. I could, I could do like a, you know, a one one o'clock on Sunday or like a, yeah, one o'clock on Sunday or one thirty. That works. Yeah. Well, this is again a little inside baseball, and we'll <laughs> get to. Um, yeah. Um, I don't think if there's any. We want to have any. If there's any cleanup things I wanted to bring up, is there anything? I guess want- say let's just say. Look, uh, it would be great if you could review us in iTunes. Uh, obviously, the more the more reviews. Uh, voting's good, but actually writing a review is, is kind of even better as well to have those reviews there. Um, if you want to donate something, you can always go to textinglive.com forward slash donate. And what are we going to use the money for? Um, we desperately could, need a new user, uh, a new would, UI. for. Although there is, there's a member on Startup Guild who I've uh, made a proposition to do a design for us who is a very good designer. So I think uh, we may have that covered, actually. With a logo? Uh, no, the whole thing. Really? I mean, yeah. That's- yeah, that would be nice. Okay, so um, yeah, so I've I've got that underway. So I don't actually know what we're going to use the money for, but we, it would be like, hey, maybe we'll go out for a drink or something. Textinglive.com forward slash donate. All right, well, that's a wrap. We're out. Jason, stop doing that. It's annoying. <laughs>